Hello everybody, my name is Mrs. Sarah Dallas, and today I'm going to be reading the excerpt from Hiroshima by John Hersey, published in 1946. The excerpt is from Chapter 4, Panic Grass and Fever Few. If you do not yet, I suggest printing out a copy or having the copy uh, in front of you on the computer screen so that you can follow along and also make some notes along the way that will help you answer the questions that follow. The hospitals and aid stations around Hiroshima were so crowded in the first weeks after the bombing, and staffs were so variable, depending on their health and on the unpredictable arrival of outside help, that patients had to be constantly shifted from place to place. Miss Sasaki, who had already been moved three times, twice by ship, was taken at the end of August to an engineering school, also at Hachusaki. Because her leg did not improve but swelled more and more, the doctors at the school bound it with crude splints and took her by car on September 9th to the Red Cross Hospital in Hiroshima. This was the first chance she had to look at the ruins of Hiroshima. The last time she had been carried through the city's streets, she had been hovering on the edge of unconsciousness. Even though the wreckage had been described to her, and though she was still in pain, the sight horrified and amazed her, and there was something she noticed about it that particularly gave her the creeps. Over everything, up through the wreckage of the city, in gutters, along riverbanks, tangled among tiles and tin roofing, climbed on charred tree trunks, was a blanket of fresh, vivid, lush, optimistic green. The verdancy rose even from the fountains of ruined houses. Weeds already hid the ashes and wildflowers were in bloom among the city's bones. The bomb had not only left the underground organs of plants intact, it had stimulated them. Everywhere were bluettes and Spanish bayonets, goosefoot, morning glories and daylilies, the hairy fruited bean, purslane and clotbur and sesame and panic grass and feverfew. Especially in a circle at the center, Sickle Senna grew an extraordinary regeneration, not only standing among the charred remnants of the same plant, but pushing up in new places, among bricks and through cracks in the asphalt. It actually seemed as if a load of Sickle Senna seed had been dropped along with the bomb. A year after the bomb was dropped, Miss Sasaki was a cripple. Mrs. Nakamura was destitute. Father Kleinsorge was back in the hospital. Dr. Sasaki was not capable of the work he once could do. Dr. Fuji had lost the 30-room hospital it took him many years to acquire and had no prospects of rebuilding it. Mr. Tanimoto's church had been ruined and he no longer had his exceptional vitality. The lives of these six people, 
among the luckiest in Hiroshima, would never be the same. What they thought of their experience and of the use of, of the atomic bomb was, of course, not unanimous. One feeling they did seem to share, however, was a curious kind of elated community spirit, something like that of the Londoners after their blitz, a pride in the way they and their fellow survivors had stood up to a dreadful ordeal. Just before the anniversary, Mr. Tenimoto wrote in a letter to an American some words which expressed this feeling. What a heartbreaking scene this was the first night. About midnight, I landed on the riverbank. So many injured people lied on the ground that I made my way by striding over them, repeating, excuse me. I forwarded and carried a tub of water with me and gave a cup of water to each of them. They raised their upper bodies slowly and accepted a cup of water with a bow and drunk quietly and, spilling any remnants, gave back a cup with hearty expression of their thankfulness and said, I couldn't help my sister, who was buried under the house, because I had to take care of my mother, who got a deep wound in her eye, and our house soon set fire, and we hardly escaped. Look, I lost my home, my family, and at last myself bitterly injured. But now I have gotten my mind to dedicate what I have and to complete the war for our country's sake. Thus they pledged to me, even women and children did the same. Being entirely tired, I lied down on the ground among them, but couldn't sleep at all. Next morning, I found many men and women dead, whom I gave water last night. But to my great surprise, I never heard anyone cried in disorder, even though they suffered in great agony. They died in silence, with no grudge, setting their teeth to bear it, all for the country. It would be impossible to say what horrors were embedded in the minds of the children who lived through the day of the bombing in Hiroshima. On the surface, their recollections, months after the disaster, were of an exhilarating adventure. Toshio Nakamura, was, who was 10 at the time of the bombing, was soon able to talk freely, even gaily, about the experience. And a few weeks before the anniversary, he wrote the following matter-of-fact essay for his teacher, at Nobori Cho Primary School. The day before the bomb, I went for a swim. In the morning, I was eating peanuts. I saw a light. I was knocked to my little sister's sleeping place. When we were saved, I could only see as far as the tram. My mother and I started to pack our things. The neighbors were walking around burned and bleeding. Haitaya San told me to run away with her. I said I wanted to wait for my mother. We went to the park. A whirlwind came. At night, a gas tank burned, and I saw the reflection in the river. We stayed in the park one night. Next day, I went to Taiko Bridge and met my girlfriends Kiku, Kikuki and Murakami. They were looking for their mothers, but Kikuki's mother was wounded, and Murakami's mother, alas, was dead. <laughs> 